It amazes me that, you know, you moved to Texas and we have still only done one episode remote. <laughs> We're always in the presence of each other. Welcome to the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome with Wendy Bowlesby and Melissa Kirscher. Listeners, to another episode of Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. I am here in Minneapolis, live and in person with Melissa. It's so exciting. Hi, everybody. And also our special guest this episode, Pat. Hi! Miss Patwick. Yes. Longtime friend of both Melissa and I. Oh, yes. And longtime movie lover. Absolutely. So, Pat is joining us on our podcast tonight. Hooray! Hooray, indeed. So, um, let's see. Let's get the... Uh... We'll get the drinking out of the way. Yeah. Okay, so what we have here tonight in our glasses is a Castellero del Diablo. We've had this before. It's well, the we've, devil's wine. We Well, we've had this uh vineyard before but i'm not sure if we had the carbonari oh that's a good point yeah we had the we're having the carbonari tonight it's from chile it is chilean and of course now all that makes me want is a black philip wine oh yes mm, Water. because it's diablo diablo fantastic fiends will understand i am quite sure and anybody who followed us at our <laughs> during our nine different podcasts we made during Fantastic Fest. Um, Carminiere, mm-hmm. um, if you don't know listeners, it's a red wine. It is from Chile, so um, it's got that uh, South American vibe mm-hmm. to it. It's very dry. Mm. Yeah, I like it. It's also, but it's not, um, it's very drinkable. It's not uh, demanding too much of my attention. Yeah. Right? Don't get me wrong. I do like a bold and interesting wine, but for podcast nights, I also like something that I can drink. Yes. And this is a wine that is going to let me drink it. It is very drinkable. Of course. That said, Pat, what are you drinking? I am drinking some iced tea. <laughs> Yay. <laughs> Sweetened iced tea, actually, from the tea source. It is their tea source spice tea, and I'm doing it in a reused cup that I got from a fast food restaurant. Hooray. Woo! Reduce, reuse, recycle. Indeed. Pat, you're a friend of the planet. Yeah, some days. So, listeners, tonight, our topic tonight, for all I know you're listening during the day, whatever, at this moment in time, whenever that may be, our topic is going to be Pat's topic of movie soundtracks. Absolutely. Now, Pat, why did you want to talk about this? Well, I've listened to, I think, almost every single Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, and I was like, I wonder what I would do. And I was thinking about soundtracks for movies that... Actually, it started off with the ones that irritate the hell out of me. (laughs) Bad ones. And then I was thinking also of good ones because I can't even remember where I was, but all of a sudden the uh, Lord of the Rings soundtrack was being played almost as music and I started tearing up. Mm -hmm. The emotions that were attached to the feelings that were with that music. I'm like, I think it was in a grocery store or something. And I'm like... (laughs) Oh, oh my God, Frodo. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, we just had Jerry and Megan's wedding and mm-hmm. their um, pre-show, as it were, was a solo cellist playing movie themes. Well, the, the mostly the greatest hits of John Williams. Mostly. a couple other things. But the bride there. processed to the theme to Jurassic Park played <laughs> on solo cello. And listeners, it was a beautiful thing. Yeah. And that theme did make me just... <gasps> that, that theme from Jurassic Park does just wonder and excitement just comes along with it. And you're like, oh, yes. Of course, they recessed to... Naturally, <laughs> Raiders of the Lost Ark, <laughs> as one should. As do, one should. Do 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 do. do, do. Anyway, so there, there's something though specifically. There's something about the Jurassic Park theme that just went, oh yeah. It, it just it, in me, there's something really primal that arises with the uh, can, specifically Jurassic Park. Can you sing it? 
I know, right? It's so pretty. Yeah. <laughs> but it, it's that that it just evokes those wide eyes of just what am I looking at? Yeah. Um, and for me, Superman also has the Superman theme has that <gasps> that quality of just joy. Yeah. Right. So a good soundtrack will just. I mean, I suppose you could say all the soundtracks that I've listened to that I've never noticed were good soundtracks because they did their job unobtrusively. Yes. But like a John Williams score stands alone and makes the movie better because you can't help but just be excited hearing it. Yes, indeed. I mean, I had the Star Wars soundtrack as a kid and we just played it as music, which for a kid in the 70s was sort of weird. We would just play it and dance around to it. Well, as you should. It was a great piece of music. So who's going to kick us off with our discussion tonight? Ooh, we could could start off with uh, Pat's idea of something she dislikes, since that kind of was the origin of this idea. And then we can go out with joy. (laughs) We can go out with joy. (laughs) The soundtrack that I hate the most of anything I can think of, and it was from There Will Be Blood, which is what a... 97 or 8 I don't remember uh, about f- five-ish years ago six-ish years ago yeah, oh seven it's the Daniel Day-Lewis uh it's kind of the asshole goes into small towns to dig for oil and doesn't give a damn about what happens to anyone else the problem with the soundtrack is they've got this off-key violin that screeches and scrapes and it's supposed to bring up the tension of something bad is going to happen. Unfortunately for me at least, it was it took me completely out of the movie to go something really bad's going to happen. Just watch. Oh look, there he is. He's about to fall and I bet he's going to break his leg. Oh, look, he fell and broke his leg. And thank God the sound stopped. The really awful sound. And there was never a time where they had the really awful sound of the screechy, screechy violin and that something never did bad happen. So there was never a, oh, psych, it didn't happen. So every time it's happening, like, oh, something bad's going to happen. And I have to listen to this again. (sighs) I mean, at least in a horror movie these days, they try to psych you out. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right? With the great big musical cue. Oh, it's just a coat on a hanger. (laughs) Right. Uh, Right. No big deal. Yes, but when you have that, there's a part of you that's interested, that's thinking, that's like, ooh, something's going to happen. Not like, oh my God, I have to listen to this awful music. I'm dragged out. (laughs) I'm now counting ceiling tiles because this music is irritating me so much that I dislike the movie more. It's not that it's a bad movie. I think the movie's fine. Had they had a better soundtrack or no soundtrack, I think I would have liked the movie 10 times as much. Or if they didn't telegraph what was going to happen with the music. With And so, it was this... So, because it sounds like it was a one-two punch of, oh, look, this is totally telegraphing something's going to be bad. And God fucking damn it, this sound. Yes! Yeah. Exactly! I, have you seen the movie? I haven't. Mm-hmm. Melissa has. Oh, I, it, I, I think it's a phenomenal film. And I, I actually own the soundtrack because I do kind of like music. Um... It was by, uh, I did double check this, uh, by Johnny Greenwood of Radiohead. And I'm not a big Radiohead fan, actually. But the music in and of itself, I think, is very interesting. But then again, I'm one of those avant-garde fans that... You like you know, it weird. I like it weird. So I'm good <laughs> with that. And and for me, it, it kind of worked in the context of that movie. But I can totally see where Pat's coming from. I, I totally understand the telegraphing of every move. If if the if the if the noxious sound had come right at the moment of the the horrible thing that happened, that you might have a completely different view of it. But I think there were some really iffy director choices in how that sound was used. And I couldn't tell you what the rest of the soundtrack was at all. The rest because of the music it could became be great. about that. The it whole- became about this one instrumental somebody get me something so i can stab something (laughs) i gotta i gotta clean something i gotta go clean something this is awful (laughs) so uh melissa what do you got ravenous i think ravenous uh comes off of there might be blood very well okay ravenous uh is a little horror movie that was made around 2000 ish maybe late 90s i can't quite remember it was the first time i ever saw guy pierce oh yeah. The so, first time? The first time I ever saw Guy Pierce in a movie. How long ago was what this? What movie were you... What Ravenous. Movie, what movies were you watching? 
He was this a- was this predated most of the Guy Pierceness of Guy Pierceosity. Are you sure? I'm pretty sure. When did it come out? It was like late nineties, I thought. Okay, well hold so on. So it's pre memento, pre Oh, it's definitely pre memento. And pre Priscilla? Oh, it might not be pre pre Priscilla. Pre Priscilla. Pre pre that's really hard. Pre Priscilla. Um, it might be post Priscilla. It is nineteen ninety-nine. Uh-huh. So it would be post Priscilla. Yes, it would be. But post Priscilla? Post Priscilla. Post Priscilla. So I may have seen him in Priscilla first. Yes, because but Priscilla was 94. Yes. And Priscilla. I wow. PRs. Pre-Priscilla. Pre, pre Whatever goddamn person in history decided that P's and R's should go together in the English language can go fuck himself. Speaking of which, <laughs> Priscilla's soundtrack is awesome. Oh, fuck yeah. 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 But going back to Ravenous. So Guy Pearce, little horror film uh, set during the Civil War. Very interesting setting. Um, mm-hmm. And it's a very, very small film. It, I think it was very low budget it only had a few actors in it including jeffrey jones yay yeah i know right and um it it kind of goes off the wendigo story uh i have uh, not seen this How it is so good this? i i'll loan it to you it's it's okay. great i've got it was one of the first dvds i ever bought but um the interesting listeners thing about, i am writing down that melissa is loaning me ravenous yes write it down so i loan it to you so ravenous is um fascinating film score just from a music nerd standpoint, it's like, okay, wow, this little, is... Talk a little bit about the film. Where did you see it? I saw it... I think I first saw it on home video. I, I think somebody handed it to me on VHS and said, here, watch this. Okay. Yeah, it was uh, sometime in the mid to late 90s that I encountered it. And... Would this... Okay, yeah. I don't know when this episode's going to go up. Probably very soon, because we're, <laughs> we've are we cleared out our hopper, Wendy. I know. <laughs> Finally. So I don't know if it'll go up before Halloween, but this would be a good Halloween movie? It would be a good Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. It would be a very good Halloween movie. It's a good little horror film. Okay. Um, it is... Um, yeah, it's just kind of down to the basics, but it the the setting is what makes it interesting. It's that that Civil War frontier setting because I remember I don't exactly remember the circumstances, but there are a few people, like three or four men, who are out on the frontier during the Civil War. They're very isolated, and when to go things start happening. All right, I'm gonna bring up. Okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna change. Uh change tone completely and i'm going to bring up this movie simply so that melissa can educate us all i am listeners terrible about soundtracks i don't tend to notice them they have Mm -hmm. to be either they have to be either really fucking amazing or really fucking god-awful and i don't tend to remember the god-awful ones because they're usually attached to films that are forgettable so then i just sort of go and wipe that memory and move on i tend to only remember happy things i'm a happy person (laughs) um so but I want to talk about a groundbreaking, it really was a groundbreaking soundtrack that a lot of movie makers have followed in afterwards of how he put it together. And that would be the Pulp Fiction soundtrack. Yay! And as I was calling it the found sounds soundtrack, right? The That there's no new music, but it is existing music used incredibly well and perfectly on point and adding to the movie even mm-hmm. though it's a song that you already know. And what is the term for that, well, Melissa? Well, actually, what you when we were originally talking about it, I think you were I thought you were talking about something else. There is a different term which also applies to pulp fiction and what Tarantino's doing with the those pieces of music. There's diegetic versus non-diegetic sound. So diegetic sound is sound that happens within the context of the movie. So it like that well, opening but he does do that well, because yes. all well, of here. the all of the music in pulp fiction is music that is happening in the scene. Not quite all of it, but I mean when when um anyway, I'll have to think about that. But um the use of diegetic sound in pulp fiction is very potent because like especially in the opening credit sequence when you hear the, mu- the music playing over the credits and then all of a sudden you hear the radio turn to a different song completely you suddenly get uh, an awareness that is diegetic rather than non-diegetic sound. So diegetic sound is happening within the scene. It's happening because the characters are within an environment where that song is actually playing. Would Too, Whereas, late, would too late be diegetic? I'd have to think about that one. But yeah. um, 
But non-diegetic sound is sound that's just playing over for atmosphere. So like John Williams soundtracks, mm-hmm. that's non-diegetic sound because it just lays over the scene. It's not It's not like Darth Vader actually hears the Imperial March. Well, maybe he does, but because <laughs> he's got all these this electronic equipment on his that head. That man moves but, like he does. We kind of understand that's something we hear and not people in the scene here. But it would be awesome if they did. I know that it has been a constant riff in geek culture of like, if we could hear our own soundtracks, how much that would improve our own lives and how that would clue us into things. I don't know. I think my soundtrack would be really fucked up. (laughs) It might, but I would enjoy hearing it. Has there been a movie yet that played with that trope? Because I don't even feel like the last action hero played with that. Oh, there's at least a couple. I think there are a couple of uh, comedies in the 70s where like... We're talking early Woody Allen sort of playing with that sort of thing. Because I would love to see a movie where they could hear the soundtrack and they're like, oh, wait, am I supposed to like you? <laughs> whoa, like whoa, whoa, that is getting, <laughs> whoa, whoa, that is going way too far. We do not have consent going on yet. Whoa, calm down there. Hey, I'm just going to go up to the attic and grab a box of stuff. No, I'm not. I'm really going to wait till tomorrow. I don't need anything from the attic right now. (laughs) Like, how has nobody made this movie yet? (laughs) That's it. We need to make this movie. All right. Anyway. But but anyway, going back to to what you're originally talking about before I completely tore off into my diegetic, non-diegetic sound knowledge. But um, some of Pulp Fiction yeah. is diegetic. Yes. Okay. Yes. And and I think believe there's a little bit of non-diegetic too. But also the, the use of previously existing pieces of music is very good in pretty much all of Tarantino's movies. He's fascinated by using his favorite bands of yesteryear. And sound clips like, uh, or ex- pre-existing music, like I also love Kill Bill. Yeah. Same I love- thing. How he uses the music of prior film mm-hmm. scores, um, which reminds me of the Turkish cinema, but that's something else entirely. <laughs> so anyway, but the Pulp Fiction soundtrack, that was a revelation to me. That was like the first time in years that I had been excited buy a movie soundtrack and thought, I want to own this. Mm-hmm. I want to own this and I want to listen to these songs all together so that it reminds me of this movie. It's amazing how Tarantino can recontextualize music too. Really? Where, where you know, you might have heard it in the 70s and go, yeah, it's all right. And then suddenly, 30 years later, here's Tarantino using it in a completely different context. Reservoir Dogs. Ever, yeah. Steeler's Wheel. Yeah. All about it now. <laughs> Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown. Jackie Brown oh, soundtrack. yeah. Um, the Statler Brothers. <laughs> Counting flowers on, on the wall. That don't bother me at all. <laughs> Playing solitaire till dawn. With the deck of 51. Smoking cigarettes and watching Captain Kangaroo. Now don't tell me. I got nothing to do. And scene. scene. <laughs> hey, we sang. Everybody take a drink. Woo! Hey. So yeah, Pulp Fiction. It's um, the music that he chooses is great. Mm-hmm. Like all of those songs are individually great, um, but kind of forgotten. Mm-hmm. And Pulp Fiction brought them back out, oh, yeah. right? And made people go, oh, wait, these songs. And so it becomes... A love letter to music. Well, yeah. And at the same time, each one of those songs in the context of the movie is so perfect. It's, yeah, it's one of those, I mean, John Williams will always make me happy, but Tarantino's sense of music is something that, of all the wonderful things he does, I think I might want to thank him for that the most. Although I, I think... I'm fascinated by it. he's getting ballsier and ballsier with, with his choices of music because you start looking at Inglorious Bastards and um, um, Django? especially Django Unchained. You, you now you have him using completely anachronistic music. Yeah, yeah, it, with absolutely no fucks given. <laughs> Behold the garden where I do grow my fucks. Look upon it, and thou wilt see that it is barren. <laughs> Because when more. Inglorious Bastards comes up with with David Bowie, yes, <laughs> it's like really oh 
Okay, I guess that does kind of work. Uh, I don't know how I feel about that. So anyway, I believe Pat's turn. Yes. My turn. Your turn. Please I talk. wanted to talk about the... It's an originally a silent film, Metropolis. Yay! 20, mm. 1927, Fritz Lang. Beautiful movie. And the... I was looking up on IMD, IMDb, and it looks like there's over a dozen official scores well, the, for various cuts of the movie. The original <laughs> score was by Gottlieb... Oh, <laughs> That's a lot of consonants, Melissa. <laughs> I feel like you forgot a vowel or two. Uh, yeah. Gottfried Huppertz. <laughs> yes. H-U-P-P-E-R-T-Z. There's yeah. not one S in there, Melissa. I'm just Gottfried Huppertz. Gottfried Huppertz. There's a Z, though. It makes me happy. <laughs> Gottfried. I got Gottfried right. Gottfried. Yes, you did. Wait, no, I, I did. Uh, you, I own it. I you own it. have the most incredible brain for remembering things. My brain is going on the fritz lately. I'm starting to wonder if I have reached that age <laughs> or if it's just sleep deprivation and too much alcohol. No, you've reached that age. God, fuck you. <laughs> You'll find out what it's like in another... Six weeks. Six yeah. weeks, Missy. So you could just suck it right up. Yes, indeed. I've got like six years on you guys. All right. So anyway. No, no, no. In we six, have six we- years on you. In six yeah, years, yeah. you'll be staying. We'll be podcasting. Melissa's going to be going, ah, oh, my brain. And I'm going to be like, what? I meant, I meant ahead as in behind you guys. So anyway, yeah, Gottfried Hubert's did the original score for Metropolis. Like with the piano. Tinky, tinky. Tinkly linky. Oh no 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 no! No, full, no. Or, full orchestral score. Yes. Okay, beautiful. It's it's amazing. Okay, um, what it year? is uh, nineteen twenty-seven. No, okay. this this was actually the orchestral score that was distributed with the film. If I oh, remember so they right. would like play it on the sound system. No, well, no, they they'd, they'd have, they'd a, have an, orchestra. an orchestra or a band. Play it. Yes. Yeah. Oh, of course they would. But I mean, I'm this wrapping was... my brain around that because yeah, when you think of silent films, you think of. Silent film and then just this lonely little piano player. Well, yeah, but I mean, this Depending was this was an exhibition film. This was giant, and uh, it did not do well because it was like overreaching in what it was trying to do. And at so long, way more of the time. Okay, very let's. Long. I'm, I'm going to interrupt, and I want to talk about the practicality of. So, would he send the score ahead so that the orchestra could rehearse? I don't know if the plan was to. Uh, this was, I believe, mostly used just in Berlin and around Germany. Okay. Um, and I don't think it actually toured with that score, or if it did, it had probably had a piano score that went with it. So just one person had a piano. Tiki, 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 tiki. Yes. But uh, there were many vi- different versions of the score. Um, the film fell into public domain, and therefore when home video came out, it was distributed with a million and one different scores, usually just somebody slapping a piece of classical music over it and just saying, go with it. Or the Godfather soundtrack. Or the Godfather it, soundtrack. In Turkey. In, in Turkey, yes. <laughs> or or in the case of Gregorio Moroder in the 1980s, yes. you know, getting a bunch of pop stars together to make a whole new score to it, like a 90-minute cut, was it? Um, I think it's an 80-minute or 80 Yeah, it, it's super short. It's a tiny time. But the one thing I want to mention about the original score mm-hmm. is the composer was often playing the piano mm-hmm. on set. Yeah. While the people were acting so that they could would know what the music was going to be to have their performance informed by the music. Mm-hmm. That's neat. Yeah. It's a beautiful score. I don't know that I've heard the original score. Kino, I probably have. Okay. The, the Kino release bef- prior to the restoration that incorporated the Buenos Aires cut of the film... Um, oh my god, your film nerd is showing so hard. Oh shit, I can talk about Metropolis a really long time. But um, they did a very nice uh, DVD release with the original score cut down so it would fit. Because at that point, there was still a good, what, 30 minutes missing of mm-hmm. the movie. So they edited it down a little bit so it would fit what they had. And uh, did a whole new recording of the score. It was just, it was beautiful. I because I know I've uh, obviously I've heard the Marauder. It yeah. played at BNAT. Um Dear dear listeners, the nineteen eighties Marauder thing is a, a thing of it's, sometimes horrific glory. It's, <laughs> you can't look away. Yeah. Okay. So Marauder did this heavy synth thing. Oh, so my god. So th- it's very very synthy. I mean, we're talking like Pum. early. 
And, and at times it has a hypnotic quality to it. At no, times it really works. But when it lapses into the pop music, because like uh, they brought in, was it Loverboy and Pat Benatar and Freddie Mercury did a track and, and it just kind of lapses into these random pop music tracks that don't really work. But when Marauder's original stuff kicks in, especially like the, the, the clock handling scene yes. where, um, uh, Gr- God, is his name Gregor goes down into the labyrinth and takes over one of the random workers' jobs and he's handling that clock thing? Yeah, Frutter. Frutter. That shit works. Yeah, that's yeah. the scene that most stands out from our viewing of it. It's yeah. like, this, I like this. Yeah. Other parts of it, I'm like, eh, what? I know I've seen, I've probably seen the original score, but it's just mm-hmm. years and years and years ago. Why do you like the, why do you, why does this one pop up for you, Pat? Because it's such an unusual piece of filmmaking that everyone, it's almost like the, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do my own version for this movie as like a lot, as a a stepping stone, not a stepping stone, as a a mile marker. I've, I've done this. You know what? I I have seen so many live performances with, uh, with Metropolis. So many musicians who have done their own score to Metropolis. Well, it's like we saw the general with live music. Yeah. I feel like there's something there that could be played with more. Like, Especially when you understand how much that music then informs your viewing of it. Right? Yes, absolutely. Obviously. Like, I would love for somebody to take Star Wars, mm-hmm. take out the soundtrack and write their own, just and just start playing with it. Like, look, this is what Star Wars sounds like when you when you put a bluegrass score on it. Sure. Why not? Why not indeed? I mean, anything could happen. I think people might, you know, riot in the streets, but... <laughs> uh, no, I think I think the hater fanboys would riot in the street, and then the cinephiles would be like, huh, I'm curious. I think I must watch this thing and have an opinion about it. <laughs> I, I think having, like, a really egregious 1980s synth score over Star Wars would be Awesome. <laughs> or a ser- seriously 70s disco one. Oh, oh, yeah. Chicka chicka waka waka yeah, like chicka waka like waka that mecha music release of the Star Wars disco <laughs> yes. version. Yeah. 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 Chicka chicka waka waka chicka chicka waka waka bow bow bow. <laughs> or conversely, movies that everyone pretty much says, yeah, it's good, but the 80s synth soundtracks. Lady Hawk. Like, like Lady Hawk. Hawk. What I would, would it be? love to see Lady Hawk with an orchestral score. Yeah. Absolutely. I would love to see what somebody could do with that. Because, yeah, Lady Hawk is the low-hanging fruit of, wow, there's a score that you can't help but notice. <laughs> <laughs> well, if if we may launch away from Metropolis for a moment, I can bring up one of my picks, which is Legend. <laughs> Indeed! <laughs> so Legend, which was uh, released with the Tangerine Dream soundtrack, which was questionable... Mm-hmm. questionable um i'm not a big fan of the tangerine dream soundtrack although it is kind of key to understanding its appeal in the 80s well the thing oh boy the the thing about legend though is when they first made it they originally had jerry goldsmith do the score for it there is a full orchestral score for legend yeah and, and some of the dvd releases have it as like a secondary yeah you can you can switch over the soundtracks and go to the the full fantastic Jerry Goldsmith score and it's broad and it's beautiful and it it suits. Is it otherwise silent though, or is it does it have all oh the it has other all sound- the dialogue and everything? Okay. It's just remixed with the movie. It's it, they just replace the soundtrack. Interesting. Yeah. Why did they choose to switch out before the release? Because it was the eighties. <laughs> yeah, fair enough. Here's my bit of music trivia. John Anderson of Yes recorded the vocals. Oh, he did? At the end. That is John Anderson of Yes. I had no idea. Who sings the vocals on that final song that you can hear in the Tangerine Dream soundtrack. Who also did some of the music for the 1984 version of Metropolis. Mm -hmm. That's true. I want to bring up Santiago Violente. Okay, so there we are. At Butnamathon last year, listeners of the podcast will remember that we talked about this after Butnamathon last year. Mm-hmm. And um, I'm, I happen to be sitting next to Melissa for this movie. And it starts and it's by Espinoza. And mm-hmm. Melissa goes, because she knows Espinoza mm-hmm. from, from from Fantastic Fest prior filmings. Yes. And so um, 
So the movie starts, and I'm sitting next to her, and she's like, oh, it's Espinosa. You're going to really like this. And I'm yeah, like, you're going to oh. love it. And I'm like, okay, if Melissa tells me I'm going to like something, she should know by this point. <laughs> and I did love the film, as we all know. But there was a point within three minutes, within three minutes, that I just leaned over to Melissa and said, oh, my God, I love this soundtrack. Because it was so 70s funky. Yes! Yes, indeed. And and all of Espinoza's soundtracks are, all of his scores are very much similar in that sense. All he's 70s? A, not, not quite all 70s, but he's got a really strong sense of music and how to use it in a soundtrack. And when I did see Mandrill, yeah. again, Same the soundtrack thing. leapt out at me of, Jesus, this man really knows, he knows his soundtracks to know how to riff on them to achieve the effect that he wants. Yeah. This is a man who knows his cinematic scores. Mm -hmm. And for somebody who doesn't really pay attention to that, I couldn't help but notice, you know what you're doing with that music because that is super great. And I love funk. I (laughs) do. I just, I love funk 70s like when uptown funk came out thank you bruno mars i have been missing my stevie wonder funk i need more of that on the radio it makes me happy give me some horns give me some (laughs) give me some bass some waka 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 and i'm a happy girl i unabashedly love late 70s funk and so when it shows up in a movie i'm probably gonna like it like inherent vice yeah great soundtrack i loved the sound of that because again it was that late '70s kind of funk, right? Not the not the hippie music, more funk. Mm-hmm. And the minute I hear that, I'm like, I like this movie, which is probably why I like Tarantino too, because he loves yeah. that late '70s funk too. Yep. So, listeners, you've learned something about me. I like it funky. What? <laughs> I believe uh, it's Pat's turn. Pat. My turn. All right. I'm going to switch over to a different kind of soundtrack. Okay. But I just loved it. Uh, it's from the movie Atonement, which is the 2007 movie. Um, it's a, as according to this lovely page, a British romantic war drama film. Drama film? I said that backwards. Uh, <laughs> based on uh, Ian McEwan's uh, novel of the same name. That That is a very Scottish name. It is. Ian McKean. Ian McKean. Yes. Anyways, um, it is about a World War I timeline. And the pacing, as opposed to having drums, it's a typewriter. Because she's a writer. Oh. So you get this tick, 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 tick. But it's very much that old. You can almost see somebody typing at it to get the right notes or Notes is actually probably accurate Mm -hmm. to get the pacing in this. And at first I was like, that's kind of interesting. And then as it goes and the more she's writing and the drama is actually, the the plot has nothing to do with that, but because she's falling in love with a soldier and her sister's not comfortable with that and tells a lie about it and says that he raped her. Uh, Yeah. Mm. Wait, that he raped? The sister. Raped the sister. Okay. Not her. The, the, the no. I, well, it's been a while, but it was, it was a total lie. He ends up um, having to go off, dies in the war, and it's the little sister who, who's now telling the story at almost on her deathbed, trying to atone for the sin of this horrible lie she told to break up her sister and this boy that she didn't think was a good enough person for her sister. And mm. it had, um, ooh, it had Mister Scottish. It had. Uh... It had Professor X in it. Mr. Tumnus. <laughs> James McAvoy? That guy. <laughs> so the soundtrack, because it was interesting because of the writing. It, it was interesting because of the typewriter. And yeah. it, it, when it first started, I was thinking, I wonder how this is going to go. Because it was over the credits at the very beginning. And it was something that it was done intentionally I'm pretty sure to get you into it because that even at the even in 2007, the thing of putting the credits out, all the beginning credits at the end, followed by the ending credits at the end, was still a thing. So having it at the beginning and slowly easing into this was a definite choice of we're getting you used to the feel of this the movie, and I just loved it. Mm-hmm. It sounds fascinating. Yeah. It sounds really creative. Well, I love like dance troops that will use just the sound of things to create rhythms that they will then incorporate to their music. Like Stomp. 
Exactly. That's exactly what I was thinking of. <laughs> Melissa, what's your next choice? Oh, I think I need to talk about the third man. I think you do. Yes, Indeed. I do. So fantastic noir film. Dear listeners, if you have not seen it, it stars Joseph Cotton. Joseph and, Cotton. Joseph Cotton. And Everybody all go do a little Joseph Cotton cheer. Yay! And, uh, of course, the great Orson Welles pops Ooh. in about halfway through it and delivers one of the great soliloquies. We will serve no wine before it's time. That's not the same soliloquy. But <laughs> it's it's this... Uh, it, it's one... It, it goes so film noir by the end. There's like a... a it, it, it film noir is so hard. It is so fucking good. <laughs> it, it is, is so a, good. It is so fucking good. If you've never seen it, listeners... That's one of those films of, mm, you kind of really just go watch it. You'll love it. Yeah, it, it is an amazing movie. But one of the really great trademarks of it is, you know, when you think of film noir, you think of the, the those really kind of almost overripe orchestral scores that got paired with them. And with The Third Man, you have zither music. <laughs> it's, it is this one guy on a zither just having the time of his life. And it's kind of merry. <laughs> <laughs> oh god i can't even remember how the tune the, the tune know. goes but it, it's this repetitive tune but yeah when when have you ever heard zither music aside from the third man well zither for noir except that there is a mischievous quality to orson welles in yeah. that movie and so to that score and so it it is a perfect marriage mm-hmm it is true. Well, there's a there's a certain light touch to the movie, even though it, it has this really yeah, dark there's, noir. There's a there's a pizzicato violin sort of quality to yeah. it. Yeah. What's going on? <laughs> do, 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 do. And on a, a side note of that, just an interesting musical instrument. Yep, I want to talk briefly then about yep. the theremin. Davy oh, Erskinsell. Yes. Okay, the original. Well, yeah, because the no, we're not talking about the that remake. One. Doesn't count. The remake no, I'm doesn't talking, exist. Just talking about how that turned into science fiction movies. Oh yeah. Well, be, be, it's the day they Earth stood still and uh, Forbidden Planet and Forbidden Planet. Yeah. Absolutely. Also did that full electronic score. Although was that was that just an electronic score or was that actually theremin? I don't know but, because yeah. I don't notice soundtracks unless they're, ah. apparently they're seventies funk. But yeah. <laughs> Science fiction. Science fiction. Yeah. <laughs> oh, look, it's a theremin. Science fiction. Or whales, if you're Kelvin. <laughs> All right. Um, listeners. Well, if you're a whale playing a theremin in Kelvin's world, you're playing luck be a lady. Which makes me so <laughs> happy. I can't even begin to tell you because it makes me picture a whale in a fedora doing a little dance. <laughs> <laughs> I'm next. I loved the soundtrack to Lies of the Fox Fairy. Tell us about Lies of the Fox Fairy. Okay, so this was a fantastic fest film. So uh, listeners of the podcast will have already heard me waps. Waps? Waps (laughs) wapsolically? Wax? God! Wax wapsolically. I would say it's the wine, except my mouth has been misbehaving for the last three weeks. Raps, waps, hot. Wax rhapsodically. How's that? Wax rhapsodic about this film. Um, What's fascinating is that it's, uh, I think, Hungarian. It's a Hungarian film where the lead character has learned Japanese and the soundtrack then is this Japanese pop star that she is a fan of. And so it's original music that was written for the film to very specifically mirror the beats that are happening in the film. Okay. Okay. I was lucky enough that at the filming, at the screening, I saw the what the guy who plays the Japanese pop star was there. All right. Very, very pretty man. And we were asking him questions about the music and uh, did he sing it? No, he didn't. But he had to learn the words. And that the creator of the film had written the lyrics and then they had been translated into Japanese. So the writer of the score had written them to very specifically be important to what was happening in the scene and then had them translated into Japanese so that he could then 
sing these Japanese pop songs that are related. And the reason why this is so like triply fascinating is number one, I don't speak Hungarian. Number two, I don't speak Japanese. (laughs) And when you're watching the film, there aren't subtitles for what the music is for the most part. He's just singing it like every once in a while. They'll give you subtitles, but mostly they don't. So it's sort of like, that's a lot of work to go through. You were really committed to your vision. But here's the thing. They are perfect Japanese pop songs. They are so goddamn catchy and happy. (laughs) You are watching this film, and it's such a beautifully delightful, happy little film. And every time he pops up, and he's got his little, like, late 60s, early 70s suit on, and he starts doing a little twist, you can't help but be like, boop, boop. And you sort of dance like you're like, this is such happy music. This is such happy music. I want the soundtrack. Everybody I talked to was like, I really want the soundtrack to that movie. Because it was, so here's a movie about, okay, if you you didn't hear this movie about this poor girl who's a personal nurse and she has an imaginary friend of Tommy, 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 Tammy. Tony, Tony, Tony. Something like that. And so she imagines this Japanese pop star appears and like talks to her that she has this crush on. And then through random events, she is trying to go out and make a life for herself. But this Japanese pop star is doing his best to make sure she doesn't because he wants her attention on him because he loves her. You see, her imaginary friend has ulterior motives. You see. And so the music is very sweet and cute and catchy, and it perfectly embodies the tone of the film, which is what a good soundtrack does. Last film, Pat. Well, last film on the list here I've got is The Lord of the Rings. I kind of touched on it at the beginning. Mm -hmm. But it's the soundtrack that currently, whenever I hear it, I can, those emotions come back to me for what the movie was. And I know I watched those movies in probably the best way possible at Muttonamathon <laughs> with just all the crazy film nerds totally just jizzing in their seats over this fantastic movie. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's true. Mm-hmm. It is true. And but- the the music for Lord of the Rings fascinates me so much just because it's it's such a monumental score. I mean, pretty much every second of those movies has a score to it you know yeah there's some kind of underscoring going on and there are there are many different themes coming in and out different characters have different themes i mean it's very john williams in that sense john yeah i mean it's not john williams it's not john williams but it very much ascribes to his leitmotif yeah right that he that john williams definitely had like you have your hobbiton theme you have your um, rohan theme yeah the 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 the, the fellowship theme all of these different places or people have their own themes. And sometimes when they meet, you get this lovely crossing of the themes and it still works. Yeah. Yeah. But the Hobbiton theme is so fucking iconic at this point because it becomes the theme for nostalgia, for innocence lost, for the innocence you hope to preserve and protect. It's so true. And then you know there's the fellowship theme and da da which is a variation of the Hobbiton theme and that's really fucking good scoring right there. It's like it's a variation. It it pulls it in but but like Ah, magnifies it and yeah uh it is it's a great score like when they go running across the bridge of kazad doom and the music (laughs) kicks in i'm always just like yes (laughs) or a thing that if it didn't have the music it would be kind of ho-hum that's at the beginning of return of the king when the mountain pass fire stations are being oh god oh god one after the other as the camera is panning over oh my god and the passes and i'm like oh (laughs) it's happening it's It's happening and the music makes it happen you're just oh oh my god but if it didn't if it was something else, if it was something lesser, yeah, it would be. I want somebody. Eh. You know how on um, people are making the like 
original sound like music videos they're yeah. taking music videos and taking out the music and it, putting in foley of yes yeah right? brilliant yeah brilliant. which is brilliant stuff i want somebody to do that for that sequence <laughs> just so i can giggle at it for like three minutes <laughs> and rohan will answer <laughs> did you give me my coffee <laughs> 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 Melissa, what's your next film? Oh, my last film, my last film pick is Clockwork Orange. Bravo. Which is a movie I love dearly. As it, one should. Yes, it's a it, it's a hell of a thing. But Although I, it makes me re... It's a movie that takes Singing in the Rain and makes it creepy. So oh, yeah. It's it's both something I love and something that is problematic to me because I love Singing in the well, Rain. Well, it's... It's meant to be creepy. It's it's meant to be off-putting. It's and meant to take something beautiful and make it wrong. Yeah. And Which is great. The, well, especially it does that with Beethoven. And, and you Beethoven's know, fifth, isn't it? Uh, yes. And, well, various other pieces. Various others, but Beethoven too. Not the Ludwig von! <laughs> no! It's sacrilege! But yeah, it... it the the use of very well-known pieces of classical music coupled with occasional bouts where this classical music has been redone as very early synthesizer tracks by Wendley Carlos. So you have parts of, of the Ninth Symphony as re-envisioned on synthesizer. And um, I believe also there were a couple of other um, original tracks. Very interesting stuff. But Wendy Carlos was an artist who was uh, originally born Walter Carlos in the 1930s and then had a sex change in the early 70s and then became this uh, really well-known synthesizer composer through the late 70s, early 80s. Best known for Tron. There you go. I was like, <laughs> what film? Tron. Tron! And we all know Tron. But yes, uh, same, she also did... Uh, Clockwork Orange, those really crazy synthesizer-heavy Which, yeah, they are very synthesizer-heavy. God Well, they're all synthesizer. (laughs) But I mean, mean, there's also traditional orchestral versions of the same music used in in the movie. But the part of Wendy will be played by the Swedish chef tonight. I was thinking the exact same thing. I'm so sick of my mouth. Anyway... Uh, but there's kind of an eclectic quality to the uh, Clockwork Orange soundtrack, which, which fascinates me because, the, you know, just watching Clockwork Orange, especially from this standpoint, is, you know, however many decades later, um, 42 years later or something like that, um, that whole retrofuturism thing that it presents, this bizarre uh, future that is laden with these now outdated uh, synthesizer sounds and and but also kind of almost these deliberately acronistic pieces of music like I want to marry a lighthouse keeper and and stuff like that. I listeners, I did a I choreographed a dance to I want to marry a lighthouse keeper. Yes, and, yes, I you did in boogieography. Maybe we will link to the clip for you in the show notes because it is a delightful little piece. It's it is a, very cute. It's like a thirty second song. I fucking love it. It's perfect for choreographers. It's like ah, I can do this much work done. All right, my last film, the last film that we are going to discuss this evening, right? 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 I believe so. Right? Oh, we'll come up with something else. We I'm always sure. do. Yeah. Probably. Um, Kick-Ass. And the reason why yes. I bring up Kick-Ass is this was a movie that demonstrated to me how much, even though I don't notice scores, they do affect me. We were lucky enough to see Kick-Ass. Yes, we did. Mm -hmm. With a temporary soundtrack. And the temporary soundtrack was the filmmaker's wish list of what he wished he could use. And that meant that he could use all kinds of existing film scores that he then was not actually able to get the rights to. <laughs> so um, help me out here, because I can't remember them all. Like, well, well, the, the stuff they laid in, it was like November Rain, yeah. like Guns and Roses, and he did have the Banana Split song, which yes. he ultimately did wind up using. Yes, I do um, remember that. There was a score to Batman. Batman was Ke- the one. Yeah. Michael Keaton Batman, I believe it was. And... Uh-huh. Um, 
those are the ones that stick in my brain. So here's yeah. this movie. It plays at Butnamathon and it, it kills. It yeah. absolutely destroys the room. Now, granted, it's a it's an audience that is waiting to be destroyed. This is the perfect audience to see a movie with. Yeah. It will always make seeing a movie better than it has any right to be. So Very it be, it becomes a modifier of, I saw it at Butnamathon, which means I don't know if it's that great, but boy, howdy, it was an awesome film experience. Mm-hmm. Unless it's a bad movie, and then you know it's really bad. If, it, if, the, <laughs> if it's bad at Butnamathon, it fucking sucks. Indeed. <laughs> <laughs> Yikes. So here's this film that I fucking loved at Butnamathon, and then I go to see it theatrically, knowing that the soundtrack will be different. And for the most part, the edit is pretty much the same but the soundtrack is different and that was the one of the first times i walked out and went holy shit the soundtrack really does make a difference and i knew that Mm -hmm. but i couldn't tell you why because i don't notice soundtracks i couldn't tell you why but i walked out of the theatrical cut and went that wasn't nearly as exciting (laughs) maybe it's because the film didn't break halfway through (laughs) <laughs> remember that <laughs> yeah i did no but it was it was because at the climactic moment oh, yeah, no. what i really remember is the climactic moment i was waiting for the soundtrack that we that was used yeah and i can't remember what they used because in the in the final cut it wound up being stars and stripes forever or something like that it was yeah. a john philip Sousa march yeah but it but i was yeah. waiting for that moment of like this is the great moment and well that's okay yeah yeah and the music didn't do the job. And I think I honest to God, and then the movie didn't do that well. Mm-hmm. And I was like, well, I can tell you why. Your fucking soundtrack it didn't <laughs> deliver the goods. Because the movie I saw at Button was fucking awesome. <laughs> that's what I have to say about that. And that's the importance of soundtracks. Yes. Yes, indeed. I agree. Oh, my God, Melissa, we did not do any prep on, like, uh, Xanadu picks no and you know what i know what i'm gonna pick for once <laughs> i don't but you should think because we haven't asked pat our questions oh, yay! <laughs> do we, we remember our questions oh my god we were gonna revamp them and we still need to do that but yeah, the but, first but question the i do know okay. i can ask them okay okay pat it's time for you to answer our five, five questions no, no there were four questions four, four. There are four questions. Four questions. Four questions. Pat might hey, be able Pat. to help us with her questions. Maybe. <laughs> hey, Pat. Yes. Question number one. Yes. Who are you? I'm Pat. <laughs> <laughs> I am Patwick, and I live in St. Paul. And question number two. What do you do, Pat? I do all kinds of crazy things. I help run three different science fiction fan conventions, I... Wait, what's number three? Oh, no. No, wait. What is number three? OmegaCon in yeah. fall, OmegaCon in spring. Oh. And then, you know, Convergence. Yes. Well, no, it's OmegaCon <laughs> is two now that I always forget. Oh, It yes. sort of seems like part one and part two. Like, is it really two different ones or is it just a sequel? Oh, what's really fun about that is the people that come up to me and are like, oh, I'm glad that you do two, but this one's way better than the other one. And there is no consensus as to which one's better. <laughs> I'm not surprised by that because you know why? Nerds. Nerds. Mm-hmm. All right. Question number th- three is <laughs> if yes. Kubla Khan in Xanadu did decree a pleasure dome to your specifications. Yes. What would be in that pleasure dome? Hmm. I've been thinking about this a lot. Every time I listen to one of your podcasts, I'm like, I'll say this. No, I'm going to say this. No. And I'm like, <laughs> no, none of those are good right now. Um, Actually, currently, I've been listening to a lot of podcasts and there's a new one on NPR and it's The Hidden Brain. Okay. It's called The Hidden Brain Podcast. There's only like six or seven of them. They're about 20, 25 minutes long. And it's about um, sociology and how we, well, we think we know what we're all about, but we're not. How we're tricked and... <laughs> Wait, no, is this question four or question three? Question, question four is a recommendation. Well, wouldn't that... Okay, fine. The, 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 the pleasure dome is what's your man cave. Oh, what's my man cave. Yeah. So that's question four. What okay, would be so in your let's... personal pleasure dome? Yeah. I'm going to say a viewing room... With the most comfy couches, the best surround system, a great projector of some kind, but not 3D, because fuck that shit. Yeah, fuck 3D. It's 
a tool. There's yeah. been a couple movies that are okay, but eh. Coraline is very good in 3D because it's depth. Yeah, there's not things throwing at your face. But it would also have the accessibility to do any TV or movie that's out there. None of this, oh, well, it's not on Netflix. Oh, no, it's not on Hulu. Well, it's not over here. Okay, so what you would have in your Pleasure Dome is, I can watch anything I can think of. Yes. I like that ability. That's a good one. That's a very good one. Anything I I can think of, I get to watch. That, that's a winner, my friend. See, I want that. I want that. (laughs) I'm always irritated. I want to watch this. Not available. I want to watch this. How about this? And still not? Okay, there is a film that I know I should be watching for the last 10 years. Ooh. Lagan. I have never seen Lagan. Do you know why? Because it's still not on goddamn streaming in any fucking channel. It's right over there. The new universe. Yes, but... That requires me to remember when I'm at Video Universe or at my video store. I am always remembering at one o'clock at night, once Chris has gone to bed, I'm like, what do I want to watch? I haven't seen Lagan. Is it available yet? Fuck no. Not even to rent. Nope. Nope. Motherfucker. That's just, what I have just to say about buy that. buy a DVD. I should. Yes, you should. I know that. Because you'd love it. I know that. Because it is Bollywood and underdog sports. You would love it. <laughs> it's oh my fantastic. God. It's a sweet spot right there. Yeah, that I have a hard time believing that I've actually seen this and you haven't, Wendy. There are many films I have not seen, as is true of all of us. Listeners, never be ashamed of what you have not seen, right? I am trying yep. to, like, we're trying to change fandom to be inclusive and positive. It's not about, I hate you because your, your opinion is different. No, you just have a different opinion. It's not about, how dare you? You're not a real geek. You haven't seen that yet. No, it's about, hey, I love this film. I would love for you to watch it too, because I think you'd love it too. We only seek to improve your life. We are Borg. We are Borg. We are Borg of joy. We are Joy Borg. Boyerg. Jorg. No, no, that no. works. I was trying, but it failed. <laughs> you just keep going. I do. I'm like the Energizer Bunny. Okay, Melissa, what is your Pleasure Dome recommendation my, this week? My Pleasure Dome. Because if you talk, maybe I'll think of one. My Pleasure Dome recommendation is I found an iPhone game. Actually, this is a web game, too. You can just go to the website and play it with uh, in your browser but it's called hex forever or something like that it's h-e-x like hexagons and then f-r-v-r i think it's like condensed forever or something like that because their logo is an infinity symbol but it's like tetris except it's hexagonal <gasps> i know right oh my gosh and i'm absolutely fucking addicted to it look at yeah, so it gives you little 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 shapes made okay. out of hexa- hexagons, and it gives you a, a hexagon to put those shapes into. Oh my into. god, it's like ingenious, and, only individual, and, like a single player ingenious. Yeah, and you can you move your little shapes in there, can and you twist them around. Well, you can't twist them around. Oh, but you still get a, a row. Yeah, if you get a row, you but nothing falls down. Though. But nothing fo- falls down, so you have to kind of plot out where you want your stuff. And uh, remove as many hexagons from the grid because once you get to the point where you can't fit anything else in, that's the end of your game. Okay. Yeah. That's pretty cool. It's a really cool game. So, dear listeners, if you want to lose many, many hours of your life, follow the link in the show notes. (laughs) All right. While Melissa has been explaining that, I have been thinking and my Pleasure Dome recommendation for the week is Rick and Morty. (laughs) Bravo. If you, for some reason, have not discovered this show yet, it's on, uh, is it Comedy Central or Nickelodeon? I think it's Comedy Central. I I don't know because I've been shown it by people who just bring me. I think it's Adult Swim, isn't it? I think it's Adult Swim. Yeah. Okay. Um, this is a half hour show. It is a uh, sort of fucked up suburban, suburban riff on Doctor Who in that uh, Rick is the grandfather of this family who has a time and space machine and he does crazy ass shit. And, but for some reason, his daughter chose to marry just some suburban dude. Uh, oh, no, wait. The reason is because he knocked her up in high school. Okay. <laughs> and uh, and now um, Rick has moved in with, as because he's an older man. He's moved in with his family 
and the grandson and the granddaughter and the grandson is Morty and they go off on adventures, but it's very South Park. It's and very adventure time and very Bob's Burgers. Like it's all of that in that. And it's, it becomes very dark and very fucked up, but never not hilarious. That said, listeners, don't watch the first episode. Okay. Everybody says that. Don't watch the first episode. The first episode, you'll go, why the fuck would I watch this? Nope. Start at episode two. Just start there. And I think it's about episode five, which is the Cronenberg episode. That's the episode where your brain will melt and you'll go, oh my God, oh my God, I'm both horrified and overjoyed. I can't handle this feeling. <laughs> Indeed. When It was Cargill who showed it to me. And when we got to the episode of the, the end of the Cronenberg episode, he just turned and was like blatantly watching my face as he watched my jaw slowly just drop and my eyebrows go to that horrified position (laughs) and then after a full minute of just what the actual fuck that's when the full-on laughter started oh my god are you kidding me rick and morty you show me what you got i like what you got that will make more sense once you watch rick and morty okay (laughs) So, listeners, this has been Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome, joined by our special guest. Yay! I have been Pat. Pat. That's right. That's Pat. Well, she pointed at me, so yay! I have been (laughs) Wendy. That has been... Melissa. And we are done with this episode. Holy shit, y'all. Yay! Thank you for joining us in the Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. Our theme song was written by Tim Wick and Jeffrey Brown and recorded and mastered by Chad Dutton. New episodes arrive every Thursday. You can find us on iTunes and on Stitcher. You can also visit us at xanaducinema.com, follow us on Twitter at Xanadu Cinema, and like us on Facebook at Xanadu Cinema Pleasure Dome. When you say Mr. Scottish, I just think of Ian McGregor. <laughs> Ian McGregor! Because <laughs> really, that's Mr. Scottish to me. Quarter McLeod of the Clan McLeod. He's so French. <laughs> <laughs>